0: During this first week of the sermon series, uh, God is challenging us to look at our habits, um, our thoughts, our practices, the things, the ordinary things that we do day in, day out. Like I said, it's going to be somewhat personal um, because it's not the big stuff. This is not a big, um, you know, once in a lifetime type of decision that I'm asking you to look at. This is the everyday type of things that we do, the way that we structure our lives, the way we relate to our routines and our possessions. And this sermon series will look at how that can prevent us or equip us in our relationship with God. It can either prevent us from having a closer relationship with God or it can move us nearer to his kingdom and his way. So all that said, let's turn together to Leviticus chapter 19. It'll be on the screen. It's just two verses this week. And if you think two verses mean short sermon... We'll see. Um, <laughs> Leviticus 19, 9, and 10. Leviticus is early, early on in the Old Testament. Uh, we don't often read it or study it. It uh, has to do with God's instruction to his people um, very early on in the formation of Israel. Um, there's a lot of rules, a lot of uh, stuff that doesn't necessarily feel like it applies to us today. Like, this is where you find out you're not supposed to wear two types of fabric together. Um, you know, don't eat seafood. That type of... Like, those, these, those types of weird rules, they're like, well, what is that? That was found in Leviticus. Um, well, let's look at these two verses, 9 and 10, this morning. It says, "'When you reap the harvest of your land, "'do not reap to the very edges of your field "'or gather the gleanings of your harvest.'" Do not go over your vineyard a second time, or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Uh, Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, uh, Holy Spirit, gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts that we may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen and amen. So the scripture that we just read together, this 9 and 10 from Leviticus 19, those two simple verses talking about something to do when you're farming, is the foundation for this. And that may seem kind of strange to you, and it is, like I said, a little bit different than what we normally do. Um, These two verses will challenge the very way we live in practical, everyday ways. Um, this has been a challenging series for me to put together on a personal level, um, as you know, someone who's a pastor, a husband, a dad, um, who's involved with other things, to think in these terms, this, this series really challenges me, and that's why I can confidently say I think it will challenge each and every one of us. It's as simple as a farmer working in his field saying, What do I do with the edges of my field? What do I do with the things that fall off the cart or don't get picked over the first time? There's some extra grapes on the vine we missed when we went through. Uh, it's as simple as a farmer working in the field, and yet in these simple daily real practices, these real places, the kingdom of God can be revealed. The kingdom of God actually exists and governs and has authority over these very simple practices. And through this study over the next few weeks, we'll see that the kingdom of God is radically different than the kingdom of the world. Not in, like I said, big showy ways, but in the everyday normal routines of life. In these scriptures, God is telling his people that when they harvest their fields, not to harvest everything. They're instructed to leave the corners or in some translation it says the edges of their field unharvested. Also, they're not to gather the gleanings. Again, gleanings um, would be the parts that maybe were missed or were gathered up and fell off the wagon or just got left behind. Um, You're basically leaving some of your harvest unharvested. One could imagine that the method of harvesting, working in the fields back then, was probably not the most effective way. Like, if you think about modern farming, um, it's a pretty efficient process. They don't have a whole lot of waste. You get all your crop, you gather it all in. Um, So you think about ancient farming or harvesting or picking grapes, it's probably not as effective as what we have today. And here's a command from God some 3,000 years ago, to people saying, let's make it even less effective. When you harvest your field, leave part of it unharvested. When you pick grapes off the vine, leave some on the vine. If some of the harvest falls to the ground, leave it. Land owners were specifically instructed to leave behind unharvested grain and unpicked fruit, and the scriptures say, to do it, leave that there for the needy person or the stranger in their midst. Needy and stranger can be translated several different ways. These are kind of categories of people in the ancient world. Um, it can be translated as the poor, the foreigner, the alien. Um, in this ancient civilization, go, again, remind 3,000 years, there wasn't a grocery store. Right? You couldn't just go down and swipe your debit card and get your groceries for the week. Um, there also wasn't a staffing agency. There wasn't a community college. There wasn't a a trade school, um, there was no college uh, to get a degree or to get training in a career that you wanted to do. It just the world wasn't structured that way. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go get trained to do a job, and then I go do the job, and then somebody pays me to do the job, and then I can go to the store and get what I need. That didn't exist back then. So land ownership was the critical component of kind of survival. If you owned the land and could harvest it and you could supply for your family's needs based off of what was on the land, you were okay. But if you were in the categories of the Bible, the the traveler, the foreigner, the stranger, the the poor who couldn't own land, start thinking about the ramifications of, of being new in an area. Like, You didn't just show up and apply for a job. If you were if you were brought to a place because of a family thing and then your, your spouse dies and whatever, and you find yourself in a, in a place without owning land, you couldn't just go and get a job. Land ownership was this critical component of providing for yourself. And if you were, like I said, the poor foreigner, you didn't own that land. You didn't have direct access to the things that you needed for yourself. It was completely dependent on others making that available to you. It's completely dependent on other people saying, I'm going to leave some space in my life for your needs. You're going to be welcomed into our community because as a community, as a village or whatever, we're going to leave some crops out there for you you still have to work like we're not going to we're not going to bring it to your doorstep but there's going to be stuff in the fields and stuff on the vines if you need something you can go and get it we're leaving some space it's ancient hospitality it's ancient caring for your your neighbors so obviously our culture today is a lot different than that agrarian farm based culture of 3000 years ago not every person today that has resources that is You know, well off is a farmer or owns a vineyard. Um, There's this whole thing that exists today that the Bible had no concept of, of a middle class. That didn't exist back then. Um, There were wealthy and poor people. There was those who had what they needed and those who didn't. But if you let your imagination kind of run for a few minutes, you take this concept and, and let it get a little bit more abstract what would it mean for everyone to not harvest the corners of their field? And that's the question that's going to drive the next few weeks of our sermon series. What does it mean for us today, people in 2022, to hear the command in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10 that says, when you harvest your crops, don't grab everything for yourself. What would the implications of that mean for us, be for us as individuals and as the church? What would it look like if some communities embraced this idea? What, what if everyone who, who worked made the extra available to those who had the greatest needs? What would it look like if our culture had a concern for those that were disconnected, uprooted, in the very fabric of their existence? How would things be different if those in need could find in every field, in every vineyard, the resources that they needed deliberately left for them. I don't own land. I don't have a family in town. I don't plant a crop. I don't have these resources myself, but I know that I can find what I need to take care of my family because I'm living in a community that makes room for me, that hears this command from God and makes resources available. How would I feel about those people that left those edges, those corners of the field? If I was... A foreigner. If I was a poor uh, person who couldn't own land, didn't have the resources available, what would I think about these farmers that left the edges of their field unharvested, that left grapes on the vine? In these two verses about harvesting a crop, we get a great glimpse of what the kingdom of God is really like. We get a sense of the culture that Jesus was born into, and uh, which produced, you know, <laughs> the community in which His good news was proclaimed. So as an idealist, which I am, I, I love to look at situations and say, oh, in a perfect world, this is how things would, would be. And so as an idealist, I love these two verses, this 9 and 10 in Leviticus 19. I love it. Like, have you harvest your field, just leave a little bit for other people. What a great world to live in. How awesome would that be to know that we lived in a world where they had space for those who had great needs? Um... As an idealist, I love that. But as, as a pragmatist, maybe as a, somebody who's been uh, trained up in logistics management, where efficiency was everything, um, when I was learning how to be a manager, how to be a supervisor, our employees kept productivity reports. They had to keep track of every minute of their day. Like, I knew how long my employees were in the bathroom. So efficiency was the thing that drove the world that I learned how to lead in. And so as much as an idealist as I am, and I love these, these commands of making space for others, making resources available for others, I'm also driven by this desire for efficiency, effectiveness. Right? If I was a farmer back then, and I planted an acre worth of crop, in my mind, I should get an acre's worth of crop back in return. And I'm counting on that. That's part of my budget, right? If I have a vineyard that has 50 vines of grapes, then I'm banking on 50 vines of grapes showing up for me to access. Those are my grapes, after all. If I make $500 a week right now, I'm probably counting on those $500 a week to come in, right? So... After all, almost every financial decision that I make is based on the question. We've been taught this. I've started off by talking about personal budgeting, um, based on the question of how much can I afford to meet my needs without overextending myself. Like that's personal responsibility. I'm going to go buy a car, or motorcycle, or whatever, a home, a new refrigerator, whatever it is. Like the question of what can I afford without putting myself in a bad spot is the, is the question, right? And our needs, the way we talk about our needs is such an interesting thing, right? Like, I need a car, but I need a reliable car. Oh, and it probably should be comfortable, right? And it probably should have some of these must-haves. I mean, yeah. The car Jessica has now has air-conditioned seats. I don't know if I can ever go back to a car without air-conditioned seats before. That's super nice when you get in in the summer. It blows up, like... I remember the first car we had that had a heated steering wheel. That was—I turned it on in the summer. I just like my hands to be warm. So, like that went from something that was like a luxury item to, well, I probably should have that. I mean, that's a really nice thing. What is my actual need, though? Can I afford a $500 car payment? You know, some of them, $600, $700—like it's getting crazy the cost of vehicles these days. Or should I get the $200 payment? Or should I buy the? the beater that needs some work using the $1,000 I have in savings. Can I afford a $1,500 a month mortgage and get the house that I really want in the place where I really want to live or the $600 or $700 a month house that is a little bit of a fixer-upper or isn't necessarily everything I'm looking for? Can I afford this family vacation to Disney World or are we going to visit family this weekend? Right, like, Can I get my kids Nikes for school? Or are we getting the Walmart brand? Are we eating Honey Nut Cheerios this week? Or is it the Toastios, right? Our entire culture is based upon the different foundation than what God was calling his people to back in Leviticus. Our culture is driven by how much can I get for myself? What is the best I can do? We live lives that challenge us to find the edge of our fields and go right up to it to live right on that, that edge, to harvest every grape off the vine. We're challenged to find the edge of our financial security and go right up to that edge, to live in such a way that every grape, every grain of the field is accounted for. Years ago, when I bought my, my blue car, the Lancer, I had done my, my homework and said, I have a budget of $225 a month that I want to be able to spend on this car. And so I went into the dealership, and I sat down, and I worked on the, you know, our trade-in and all that stuff, and the guy came back to me and said, if you buy this particular extended warranty, your monthly payment will be $218. My budget, again, being $225, I felt like I had won the prices right. You know, the whole get the price closest to where you want without going over, right? Like, that's what I had done. I had $7.00. left in my budget, I made it work. $7! So what happens when my phone bill goes up? Or the cost of gas or groceries continues to climb? We go out to eat for a special occasion. Well, now I'm worried, now I'm anxious, now I'm stressed, right? Because I'm living right at the edge. I've used every resource available to meet my needs, my wants. I thought I had a plan, but... This doesn't feel really great, the situation I'm in. And that's, if I'm being honest, only if I'm focused on my own needs. Shortly after I I bought the Lancer, I was working at Olivet. There was a student that worked in my office that came up to me and said, hey, I'm going on a missions trip. And I'm trying to raise money. Do you got, would you donate? And I was like, oh, I got $7. Um, I felt like God was speaking to me in that moment. Like, well, if you had, you know, had a little bit more in your budget, you could help the student with their mission trip a little bit more. So what happens when there's a special need in this church or a special offering or you run into somebody that needs an extra helping hand or when I see uh, you know somebody begging for help on a street corner or somebody just needs a meal or a cup of coffee or maybe there's an organization in your community that's doing really good work and they're looking for some financial support. Well, if I've already picked every grape from my vine, if I've... Harvested every grain from my field. What have I got left? In fact, I may even, even have borrowed grain and grapes from other people's fields. With credit cards and loans and all that, right? So I feel bad, but I justify my inability to give because I had to meet my own needs first. I would love to help, but honestly, I just can't because I need to take care of my own needs. I'm at the edge myself. And this has been a very money-heavy introduction to the sermon and sermon series, but in reality this isn't about money, Um, because this concept doesn't just apply to our personal finances. Um, It can be applied to your time. It can be applied to your energy. It can be applied to any other resource that you have available. I have 24 hours in a day, and I really wish I had 26 maybe 30 hours to do everything that I need to do. I fill up my calendar with more than I should. My calendar is just overloaded. I don't have any time left to give away to those who might need someone to listen or to give a helping hand. As a pastor, like I said, this sermon series challenges me because if I'm in a hurry, it's really hard to attend to the spirit or to the needs of people as, as they come up if I'm always on the go to the next thing. Our busyness can keep us focused on ourselves at the cost of our ability to be welcoming or hospitable to others. Or I run so hard in my attempts to getting things done, I don't have any energy left to give towards other people. I'm sorry, I don't have the time to help you with your flat tire. I don't have the energy to talk about your bad day. I don't have the mental capacity to help you with your homework tonight. Can't talk about your hurt feelings because I'm in no mental place to handle that myself. That thing that is bothering you or your medical condition, I, I can't be that resource that you need right now because my resources are depleted. We live in a time where we have access to more communication than ever before, right? We, in theory, can connect with other people easier now than ever before in human history. I can call somebody from my watch like right now I mean you go back 15 years and that would have been like James Bond type stuff right I can do that right now I mean it's, it's commonplace I can text, I can email I can Facebook, I can tweet <laughs> I was getting a phone call right now <laughs> George, knock it off um. laughter My iPad was ringing. I'm like, "Well, this is, this is not good." Um, Oh man! As I was saying, (laughs) we can connect more than ever before, right? Like I say, we can text, email, Facebook, tweet, Instagram, Snapchat, Zoom, FaceTime, swipe right, and the list grows almost every single day of all the different ways to connect with people in new and different ways. And yet, our constant running at the limit, this filling up our our, our schedule or running at the edges of our, of our own fields has us feeling more isolated, alone, and afraid than ever before. Fear and a focus on our own needs can consume us. And so while well, this is a, a sermon that we talk about money, this isn't a sermon about money. This is a sermon where we talk about time management, but this isn't a sermon about time management. Leviticus tells us that God wants something different for his people. He wants something different for his people. God wants us to be generous because God is generous. As we plan our work, our budgets, and all of our resources, compassion and concern for the needy and the stranger are just as important to God as our light bill, our car payment, or the pantry this isn't a message about giving a tithe to the church, although it could fall into this. This isn't a message about uh, giving a donation to His Hand Food Pantry, although it would be a proper response if you did. This isn't a message about volunteering your time in a ministry or a program of the church or the school. This is a message about living differently. It's not about adding or subtracting one or two things. It's about a completely different mindset when it comes to how we live and manage our resources. This is a message about resisting the temptation to focus on ourselves and forgetting about our neighbors and our community. This is a message about creating a a missional imagination, sitting around going, how can I use what God has given me to bless others? we say that we often say without even times thinking about the implications well everything i have was cuz god gave it to me i've been blessed immensely these are all god's resources and so this is a message in which we allow god to freely speak about how we can be generous about how we can structure our lives that we can approach the resources in our lives to help others meet their needs how to be present with people how to cut out distraction and busyness and hurry out of our lives. Now, there may be a specific decision that you need to make or that I need to make about being generous. Well, I, I haven't been giving uh, to support the church. I haven't been giving to you know, support this local ministry or something like that. But, and if you need to make that decision, that's, that's cool. But what I'm really hoping for you today is that you allow God to start speaking about Your lifestyle creating a lifestyle of generosity and sharing, a lifestyle of compassion, a lifestyle of not being hurried and busy. God can help us live in ways so we don't need every grape on our own vines or every grain from the field. All that to say there are some amongst us who are extremely generous and do a great job of leaving the edges, the corners of their field unharvested. They make... Make other people feel welcome. They support and love each other. Like There's people in our midst, so this isn't a blanket, like you're all terrible or something. It's not what we're doing. There's some people that are really great about this. But I know when push comes to shove, this is an area that I have struggled with and I've had countless conversations with other people where they struggle with this as well. Committing every resource that they have towards meeting a to-do list, um, staying busy, trying to stay ahead of things because I don't feel like I'm doing enough or have enough or other people don't think I am enough. And I wrestle with what that means when I see others that have needs. I know many people who live right on the edge. Some of us live over the edge. So as we begin this new sermon series, I'm going to challenge you to see what God called his people to a long time ago. And for them, he said, when you harvest your field, just leave some of the corners. Don't go back and pick up stuff that falls off the cart. Don't pick every grape off the vine, just take what you need. There's other people that need those resources. So as we kind of begin this series, God's inviting us to search our own lives. Identify places and ways in your life where you are compelled to clear every inch of of your field, leaving nothing to be generous, leaving no space or resources for others. If this feels big, if this feels like, a, like too big of a task to do in one time or something like that, like, that's okay. We don't have to figure this all out today. The point of this series is to push back on a culture that says, me first, To push back on a culture that says everything you have earned, everything you have at your fingertips is for your own comfort, your own benefit, it's about you. This sermon series is is about the call that God puts on the life of each and every Christian to be generous because he is generous. It's the call on us to live in the kingdom of of God, not the kingdom of the world. This is the Christian vocation. This is what we are called to. So in the rest of this sermon series, I will start addressing the problems. Today, is the first sermon in in a sermon series often is uh, the one that I struggle the most with. Because I'm trying to key up and lay a foundation for the next few weeks. And so I feel like this week I've just raised a bunch of problems. like I just identified all the different ways that we struggle. So it's not a super inspiring message. God says to do this, and we struggle to do it. So in some sense, I've attempted to raise those questions and concerns. And over the next few weeks, we'll start looking at the tools that God gives us to push back, to fight against this culture that says, oh, take everything for yourself. So in the next few weeks, make sure you come back. (laughs) Because this is that will be where God introduces his answers to these questions. How do we escape a culture that is so self-consuming, so, so uh, self-focused, that invites us or pushes us to harvest the corners of our field? How do we push back against that? How do we be faithful to this command that God has given us? And so I'd feel bad today if you left here thinking you had to figure this out on your own. It is not you against the world. God has some answers. And oddly enough, some of those answers come through life in community with others. So don't walk out the door thinking, oh man, he's right. I need to fix this myself. Come back. Next week is Corners of the Field Trust. We're talking about trust. Trust in God as an answer to this desire, this need, this tendency to run at the edge, to run at the limits. After 1,500 years, right, God gave this command to his people, after 1,500 years, the Israelites struggled to live this out. They were not good at this. The prophets in the Old Testament critiqued Israel over and over and over again for their treatment of the poor and the stranger amongst them. They critiqued them for their, their self-serving attitudes their attitudes that were like, protect us at all costs. After 15 years of the Israelites struggling to live this command out, Jesus spoke to them. He said, you, you have failed at this command for 1,500 years. Jesus shows up, and he addressed them. And you know what he said? That's next week's sermon, that's what he said. Um, <laughs> I will share those words with you next week. That feels really bad. I feel bad about that. I don't, but uh, I should. Um, But yeah, come back next week and we talk about how trust in God helps us to leave the corners of our field unharvested. Trust in God allows us to turn our eyes off of ourselves and on other people. It's a freeing thing. It's a tool that God has invited us and given us. He says, I am trustworthy. You can count on me.